Welcome to the Red List Distribution Download Podcast, where we're dedicated to bringing valuable insights around strategy and leadership for distributor sales reps and associated staff in the fuels, lubricants, and chemicals industry. Today, we're really excited to have with us Carl Peterson. Hello, Carl. Hello. How are you doing, John? Doing really good. Thank you. Uh, it's a beautiful day out here in Utah. And Carl, maybe tell us where are you where are you uh, calling in from today? I'm calling in from uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina. It is. How is the weather out there? It's a beautiful day today. A um, little cloudy, you know, probably 70-ish. So uh, just a, a great Friday afternoon. Well, I tell you, I actually had a chance to go to North Carolina this year, and I just loved it. I thought a lot of good stuff out there. So we're really excited to have you on today. And, you know, you've got some really great experience. We In the podcast, we've had people from a number of different industries, but you're actually the first one we've had so far from natural gas. Okay. So maybe if I could, you know, obviously you're an accomplished, you know, leader in a lot of your, you've led a lot of different teams uh, over the course of the last 20 or so years. But I wonder if you could kind of maybe walk us through a little bit about your background so we can kind of know where you're coming from. Okay. Um... Before back on we go, but you know, I'll go I'll, I'll go back to um my days. You know, I, I went I was in the Marine Corps, got out of the Marine Corps and um got hired by a natural gas company. I was fortunate I had a few offers and um it left me where I was living. Um and I said, okay, but I didn't know anything about natural gas or know what natural gas was, to be honest. <laughs> I never had it because I was from the south and I, I didn't know it. So I had to totally learn coming in everything about the industry. That was great. So that was like in, that was in 2000, it sounds like. So. That was in 2000. Yep. I left the Marine Corps and, and, and joined, uh, been through a few acquisitions, but ultimately Piedmont Natural Gas. Um, and now we're owned by Duke Energy. Okay. And you started there, you started just as a normal sales reps, and then you mm -hmm. kind of, you touched a lot of different parts of the company though. Yes. Sounds like. Been a little bit all, all around. I did start in sales, um, pretty much residential. Then it quickly went into so pretty much residential commercial sales, um, calling on a territory anywhere from 10 to 14 counties um, in Eastern North Carolina. And then ended up moving to run a couple teams. Um, I ran a, a call center for the company, and then I ran a uh, a team that handled customer inquiries, both email and um, the website. So there's, there's a couple ways they came in. So I managed those. And then ultimately, I um, led a project to evaluate our unregulated business we have a products and services business that i head up now and um and then ultimately we um get into that so i led that i developed that and started that business for the company um and then went really then i went back to sales um on the regulated side um and did that for a period of time and then just 
kind of moved up and around and did what we call sales operations and now I have all that and the unreg business again and a variety. So um yeah, I've been around the company and um learned learned a, a good amount of things. Um so we're in currently we're in five states. I think Duke Energy is the second largest utility in the country. They serve about 8.2 million electric customers and on the gas side, we serve about 1.6 million customers. Duke's in seven states on electric. We're in five states with the gas. So me and my team, we support um, all five states. And um, ultimately, our goal is to help the company reach objectives, which is we're a growth company. So we're trying to grow uh, our business, which is adding new customers, selling equipment, and and, and all that good stuff. So um, good variety of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in between there, but uh, um, that's kind of a synopsis of I guess my journey to where I am today. No, that's a, that is a great journey. It's kind of fun that you mentioned you didn't know much about gas before you got into it. Mm -hmm. And now you probably see it everywhere all the time. Probably can't not see gas. So that's very true, John. That's very true. I, um, you know, you come in the young guy at the time I I was young and ambitious. I've always been a competitive person person and, um, a lot of initiative. I always have I strive to be the best. I, you know, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm a little bit competitive. Now there's pros and cons of that, and I can go into that later. But um, you know, so I always had that initiative and, and wanted to be the best. And at the time, came the company I wanted to be the sales rep of the year. Well, I achieved that in 2005. So it's always, what's that next carrot for me? I want to go achieve that. Um, so you know, that's uh, things have always driven me like that. So you know, I want to be the best I can be for myself, for my family, and for the company. Um, so I, I strive to learn. So coming in, I didn't know and had some great mentors, had some great folks that would share. I spent a lot of time learning the business, you know, from soup to nuts, basically, you know, I'm fortunate that in all my different roles, I've moved around the company enough to learn a little bit about all the aspects of the company. So I, I tell my my family, I'm, I'm pretty good at lots of things. I'm not a master of anything, but I'm pretty good at lots of things. Same thing with this business. I understand it at certain levels, but I, I you know, I'm not, I'm not an engineer. My degrees are in business, um, but I understand all the aspects of the business uh, enough, enough, you know, to, to be dangerous, let's just say, right? No, absolutely. You know, one of the things that's interesting is I think a lot of people, that we meet in the distribution field um, didn't necessarily. Some people start out maybe they were in a family of gearheads or they were in an oil family. There, there are some people who have it really deep into their marrow, but a lot of people really kind of come into it. You know, kind of like the journey you described. And as we are, as you think about coming into an industry like this, I think a lot of people, if they're getting into lubes, they didn't really think much about lubes, but all of a sudden they see it everywhere. And if they didn't think about fuel, all of a sudden they see it all, all over the place, or chemicals, or gas, or these similar type of experiences. You, you're not aware of it. You hear about it on the news. You hear about it in media, but you're not really aware of it as like it applies to you. You know, it's kind of like. Uh, so, but what's interesting is when you hear about it in the news, or you hear about it in the media. There's a lot of negative information out there, right? A lot of people who are. And what's interesting to me is there's even still a lot of negative things about natural gas. I mean, we mm-hmm. see. Some places banning stoves. We see things going on. Maybe talk a little bit about the stigma of natural gas and kind of what 
how you combat that or how you deal with that type of negative um, perspectives that the mainstream media seems to be so happy to share? So, you know, good question. Um, so I'd say with anything, you got to know your facts, right? We all need to know our facts. Do your own research. Don't don't believe don't believe what I'm saying. Do your your facts. I heard that, and, and I I'm gonna reference him because I, I like him a lot. But he said that you know I, I went and saw Aaron Lewis um, last fall. Love Aaron Lewis. Um, hopefully folks do, but I do. And you know he's a very bright guy and knows his history, knows research, and he'll tell you stuff. But he finishes up by saying. Don't believe me. You go do your own research. You you know you find you make sure that what you're what you're saying believing is factual. And and I would agree with that. So I'd say know your facts because you know there are there are natural gas is a great fuel for our country. Um, we have plenty of it. It is the most efficient fossil fuel on the planet. Um, there's lots of things people don't know. They just um, they hear things on the radio or they see things on the TV and think that's all factual. And it might be, but it may not. So in reference to one, nobody's really banning anything yet. Um, you know, the facts are Berkeley was trying, that got appealed about a month, six weeks ago. So that's not going to happen. Um, in the states we serve, you know, we're we're making sure that it's people have a choice, a choice to choose the energy that that they want. And natural gas is a choice. We are not a have to have. We are a nice to have. You have to have electric. You don't have to have natural gas. So that's, you know, I, I get this a lot, just like you referenced the, the stoves. Well, the initial stove thing came out, you know, in January timeframe. And I don't know if it was all scientific. So our industry has then now done scientific studies again, you know, for that and come out with some things kind of debunk what was said really um, because it's all about indoor air quality and and it's it's not that natural gas stoves are bad they're, they're not there's other factors so I'd say you got to learn all your facts because it's all not true um, you know for instance you know we um, how does electricity get generated in this country well the largest part of that is done by natural gas um, so it, it mm. and most people don't know that if we look at source to site um, and what I mean by source to site is from where something originates to the end user, natural gas is the most efficient fuel on the planet. And against electric, uh, and these are facts, not my facts, by the way, they're in, they're, they're facts that can be looked up. Um, natural gas is 91% efficient, meaning that from the ground all the way to you, the end user, you're going to get 91% of it. Electricity, you're going to get about 36% of it. Those are mm. facts. Okay, you're going to lose it in distribution um, and transmission of it and generation. You always will. Okay, um, so it is the most efficient fuel on the planet, and it, and people prefer it. So um, we all have challenges, but I'd say you got to have your facts and and make sure it's factual. Um, we always strive to be more efficient, and I think everyone is is become more efficient, you know, more efficient appliances, the various things and, and same, same thing with our industry. So, I, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I spent a little bit of time with natural gas, uh, a while ago and, you know, your statement that it's the most efficient fossil fuel is undisputable. I mean, as far as the, or as far as the actual molecular structure goes, right. 
Uh, natural gas is pretty simple. You got a carbon and four hydrogens. And you look at see some of these complex things like diesel and some of these other things like that's really complex hydrocarbons. They get broken down. We have tons of it in America. So my last question before we move out of the natural gas question, maybe this one's, you know, as we're talking, it's kind of coming to my mind. But why why do you think there is such a push against against us using our own fuel? Like, I mean, it's just it's clean, it's better than anything, it's more efficient than even electricity, like you're describing. What what is maybe some of the thoughts that you have personally? This is but the the why why would people why are they why are we pushing against natural gas? Why are we even I mean, why is anybody upset about this? Um, it's a great question. I wish I had all the answers. Uh, so, you know, I'll probably be doing something else, but you know, my, my personal opinion, I, I think it's a valiant effort. I, I think like anything, I think there's some agendas and there's some pushes to go electric electrify. And, you know, with that, we'll do away with all that other stuff. The problem is our country is not set up to be all electric. Um, we couldn't, there's other things. You have hydro, you have nuclear, natural gas, you have you know coal, solar, wind, all that stuff. Uh, the best thing of any portfolio, doesn't have to be just this, any portfolio, do you put all your eggs in one basket? The answer is no, you don't. You put your eggs in a few baskets, right? So um, same same thing here. So um, I think there there's probably some agendas and um, it, it's, you know, like for me, I'll just, you know, I'm not, I haven't bought an, an EV electric vehicle. Not going to, not because I work for a gas company, just because for me, you know, I like looking at things from start to finish. I've not heard anybody talk about with an electric vehicle, end of life. What happens at the end of that life of that vehicle? How, how does the battery get disposed of? Who's paying for this stuff? And by the way, we all know all batteries over the life of them depreciate. You know, our phones, they don't stay at 100%, right? All batteries, you know, they, they over time. So mm-hmm. what happens with a, with a car battery? And if someone has to replace it, they're very costly. So, you know, a lot of questions for me. So um, personally, I'm not a buyer yet. Um, maybe a hybrid one day if, if there was both, but I'm not a buyer. But I think there's a variety of things going on there, and, and I don't have all the answers. You know, it is interesting, though. It is interesting that you bring up that maybe the – it's the drive for electric transportation that is, is doing a lot of this. Because when we were in, when I was pretty involved in a, a natural gas project, it was when we saw the push for electric and all the subsidies that were going there. I was like, oh yeah, you know, like even though gas is extremely efficient, uh, it's it's a hard it's a hard wave to beat, you know. So it's interesting. I I, I have heard, you know, I follow Elon Musk on Twitter along with 140 million other people, and uh, it's interesting because. He started kind of opening up to the fact that, oh, maybe there's a space for hydrocarbon in the transportation future. And so if I'm putting a big, long game bet out there, I I would just say, don't be surprised if one day you find Tesla talking about maybe a gas option. I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I think there's a place for everything. I'm not one that you you go one way with everything. So um, I think, you know, we can be more efficient, you know, reducing carbon is a good thing, Um, but there's ways to do that. We're doing that, you know, um, in our industry and in our company as well. So there's, there's, there's ways to do it. Um, But I just say, go back to, you got to understand all the facts of what you're, what you're, 
what you're talking about or what you're believing in and what you're standing for. So, um, you know, I, I just say you got to know the facts. No, I think that's great. That's great advice. Um, so I'm going to take that actually for my, I'm going to take that actually, this is one of like, I think the big takeaways here is really to know the facts. And I think one of the other things you said is go to the source yourself, right? Because I think what I've discovered with my kids and in my life and talking with people is like, you hear something, but you're like, oh yeah, where'd you hear that? And you, you try to find the source and you hear somebody else saying it. And what you end up figuring out is that you were actually repeating somebody's interpretation and getting right to the actual source code, the source of it can be night and day, you know, night and day. So I think I love what you say. You said your first point was know the facts. And then you kind of, you said, and I go to the source. Don't just listen to somebody else. Don't take somebody else's advice. So I think that is a big takeaway, Carl. And I think for our listeners, you know, it's like the challenge is like, think about the news that you've consumed or the conversations you've consumed how much of that was actually going to the source? Like, in other words, maybe you're going directly to uh, maybe a federal source looking at hydrocarbon structure, right? Or looking at, you you, you rattled off some uh, statistics about the efficiency of gas in the 90 percentiles versus electric in the 30 percentiles. Like somebody could go to, and you know, go to the actual source. Like see if you can find it, not just some news story about it, but try to interpret the data as close as you can yourself. And if I think if our listeners think about where they've consumed their information, I my challenge, which they could obviously go to the source themselves, but my challenge is to say, I bet way more than 90% of what we consumed is other people's interpretations. I would agree. I think we're all guilty. I mean, I'm, I'm guilty. You know, time is, you know, I've heard others, what's the most valuable thing that I'll have? Well, a lot of it's time, right? So, you know, I'm just guilty. I pull up the new stuff on my phone every morning, read certain articles and stuff. Do I spend the time necessarily always to go back and research some of that? I don't. Um, so, you, but you've got to be careful with that. No, I think it's great. Great point. So, Carl, I appreciate that background. I appreciate mm -hmm. diving into gas a little bit. I want to talk, I want to kind of move a little bit to this concept of selling a lot of our listeners not at all but a lot of them are engaged in sales or or certainly interact with lots of salespeople, right if you might be a back office support person you might be in management right now but you're interacting with salespeople, and you know you had mentioned in one of our earlier conversations uh really just this concept that we all sell and we're always selling everything uh can you speak to that a little bit Maybe tell me what you mean by that. Sure. Um, from from childhood all the way through life, to a degree, we're all selling. It may not be in the sense of when you think of when you go buy something, that type of salesperson, but you're you're always trying to influence or persuade something. You know, whether you get your way, whether it's when you're a child to get a piece of candy from your from your parents or something, or you know, you're trying to. You're always trying to be persuasive. Well, being persuasive, you're 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 trying to get something, right? It's a get give type thing. So you are it's a you're selling. So um I I think most people don't realize it and, and sales has a negative connotation potentially too, which um, you know, I, I'm a salesperson. Um, but I think there's there's ways to go about that, but the connotation, uh, but we're all to a degree, we are um, all selling um, on a regular basis. It's just whether or not we want to admit it. Okay, so 
I want to dig in a little deeper on this mm -hmm. point because I think there's there's a lot actually to unpack there because you know we all know the the Dilbert cartoon uh, where they have this you have the marketing and sales guys are really just you know dumb manipulative people you have the engineers guys who are just like the you know the only ones who see how the universe fits together right and so there's this the stereotype of oh there's a sales guy boy he's gonna schmooze me or he's just or you hear this a lot the sales team is doing this or they're just over they're overstating things they're exaggerating they're not informed like and then you hear the other side and the sales guy's like why is nobody listening to me or oh he's just an engineer right like mm -hmm. so there is this stigma that goes on and so i guess my first question is in the workplace let's say you recognize i'm a sales guy i do sales right in the workplace how would how would a sales guy effectively overcome the stigma so they can actually really connect with um, their coworkers or, you know, the people that they interact with. So John, I can take that a few ways um, because it's a, it's a great one. First off, everyone's our customer, right? Internal and external. So you, you got to realize that and understand that you need everyone. Uh, being an individual doesn't work. So it is about a team. And so you want to, the better you internally can work with folks, the better external success you're going to have. Um, do I, from time to time, have to call up a teammate and, and you know, because I need something because the customer needs something? Yeah. If I didn't have that rapport, if I didn't have those relationships, it'd be much harder to do. So... I would say that, you know, you can learn from everybody. I learn every day, right? Something from somebody I learned. None of us know it all. Um, as younger, maybe I thought I did a little more, but, um, you know, I learn all the time and I'm not the experts, but as a leader, I make sure that I have good folks around me that know a lot of things that are really good at what they do. And part of my job is, you know, knocking down barriers and stuff like that. Yes, providing strategic direction and helping them out, but ultimately letting them do what they do uh, and supporting them. So I think those internal relationships and working with people internally are equally, if not just as more important than that external. And I think that's how you have that. So, and that all comes from being authentic, right? You know, I talk about, you know, um, understanding your audience and, and authentic leadership. Um, so basically servant leadership. Um, so paying things forward. So if I, if I, cause for me, my approach always is how do I help? Um, how, how do I help the customer be successful or how do I help my teammate be successful? Cause at the end of the day, if they're successful, then I'll be successful. But if all I think about is me, then it, it, it it's just not going to work. I'm going to have fragmented relationships. I'm I'm going to have mediocre sales probably. I might hit a home run once in a while, but I won't I won't hit those doubles those du those single doubles and triples on a regular basis, right? Which are more important uh, because ultimately you're not always going to hit that home run. So you know I I think that's very very important. Uh, but you got to be authentic. So that starts with you got to be credible, right? You have to know. You have to, it's how you interact with people. It's how you deal with people, but it's also, you got to do what you say you're going to do and you got to be there to help and support, but you got to know, you know, they got to know that they can trust you. Right. And that, you know, what you, what they're, 
what you're asking them to do or working with, you know, that they they believe you and you're just not that salesperson that you're 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 talking of where hey, they're just trying to smooth me or get over on me. Got it. Okay. No, those are really good points. Now let me uh ask another question on the same vein, because you know, you're, there's a stereotype, oh, you're a sales guy. But uh, you, so you spend a lot of time learning how to persuade, learning how to take people through the frameworks, learning how to get to yes, learning how to get to no and then pass no and back to yes, right? Like all these different frameworks that go on. Uh, obviously, how do, how do those, in your mind, how did those types of skill sets transfer over to personal relationships like family and, and loved ones? Um, they absolutely do. However, you know, and I'll, I'll own mine. I'm a Marine. Um, never going to change. I, I own that. It's okay. Um, and I think, you know, as you get older, wiser, however you want to say it, you know, you, you know, I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, but, but, you know, all of it does translate, you know, how you deal, you know, at the end of the day, and I'm a believer in this and, and I, uh, I truly believe this, um, for me, a happy wife is a happy life. So, you know, whatever makes my wife happy, I'm going to make sure that, that that's what it's about. Same thing with my family. It means the world to me. So, um, you can't interact with them differently. Right. And same thing, you know, my kids now are, the one's getting ready to graduate high school in a week and the other's going to graduate college in six months. So, you know, they're, young adults and you know they're gonna be on their own and and learning from them but you know i think it absolutely translates um and how you you know it goes back to though um it's the shadow of the leader so to speak right or or the sh be conscious of the shadow you cast right so uh, i think we all have to be cognizant of that you know whether i'm out there on a sales call and the customer you know working with the customer what shadow am i casting i think we all it goes back to understanding your audience and and what shadow are you casting? Same thing at home. If I if I cast the wrong shadow as, you know, the the man of the family, the father, then that's on me. Um, I have to own that. So I, I believe in being accountable as well. You know, there's nothing for me I would prefer um, and I like um, because I, I can tell too, you know, I've done this long enough. We all make mistakes and that's okay. The thing is, do you learn from that mistake or or not? But if you try to cover it up, I, I can, I can, most people can read right through that. Okay. If they don't the first time, they will the second time. So, you know, just being honest and, hey, you know, I, I messed up or I missed this deadline or whatever, own it and move on. People will respect that so much more. I respect that more um, because I know if you're, if you're not, if you don't own it, if you're not accountable, accountability is key, right? We, we, we need accountability and, and I expect people to be accountable. Same thing with my family. So, be accountable. We can work through the rest. But if you're not accountable, then, you know, we got to play this little thing. So, um, never, never, yeah, so never it really sounds to me like, uh, you know, as I'm looking at this and, and really how it kind of fits into relationship selling, right? Like, because mm -hmm. obviously families are relationships, coworkers are still relationships and customers. I'm assuming in your mind, you're going to say, yep, it's the same thing. Yep. Yep. So, and in our business, John, you know, we don't have the short sale and long sale, right? So to speak, let's say short sale is very transactional, right? You you go to Lowe's or Home Depot, whatever, you buy something that's a transactional sale or maybe even a little longer. Our sales in our business, probably much like some of the other folks that you've talked to, they're longer sales cycles. 
and our sales cycles can can they could be you know a month or two or three or they could go up to two years three years all right so um, we're successful in our business because we relationship sell we sell to everybody and that's that's one of the questions i get well you're you're a utility you have your monopoly well um we're a nice to have a natural gas as I, as I mentioned earlier is a nice to have you're not a, it's not a have to have so we do compete we do although we have franchise territories in which we serve if you want natural gas i still compete and we compete against the other fuels whether it be oil propane um electric so um we do have to be out there selling because people don't have to have us um so that that's something that i get a, a lot uh, exactly. that, that aspect i mean i i thought it when we first chatted too i'm like oh man like really do you are you out there selling and you're sure enough you're saying no you're really out there you got so, teams and, out in the so field. and that that lends to why i mean and we deal with everybody from the individual homeowner to you know the largest customers we have all of them um and we're out there building those relationships because when you have those like we deal a lot obviously in new construction and builders and without those relationships without being you know, I'll just say relevant. If they don't know you, it's easier like anything. It's and somebody else, one of your other your other guys said this on a podcast. If if you're not there, you know that relationship, it's easier to make a decision and move away from away from a product, right? But if if you have that relationship, you know, and that lends to why we try to become what's called trusted advisors. And there's lots of different courses out there. I've had several over my career, uh, all good courses, but there's different. But at the end of the day, there's still a sales process, right? Um, but ultimately, um, you want to become a trusted advisor, meaning that, you know, you are the customers believe you. They, they trust you, they think your input is valuable, you have the expertise and the credibility, and they rely on you. So that's what we're trying to build with our customers, that they that they know that, yeah, we're just not providing the gas, but they can call us and we can work together and help each other become successful. You know, I think that's, uh, you would think it's something as big as like, you know, you get your, between your electric and your gas, you got 10 million customers. And I think building a real relationship can be hard in mm -hmm. that regard. But I think the takeaway that I'm hearing from this segment really is uh, the takeaway that I got when it comes to the relationships of selling and coworkers, family, customers. Um, I think if I, it feels like I could sum it to being authentic, right? I mean, you you talk about you talked a lot about you know be aware that you're part of a team, but don't just be aware of it, act like it. Uh, you know, let them know that be trustworthy, but act like it. You know, like whatever you say, if you say you're gonna do something, do it. So there's this concept of being authentic. And I think that's really hard sometimes, mm -hmm. Carl, because nobody wants to get rejected. Nobody wants to be canceled uh, in their relationships or in their podcasts, right? I mean, whatever the case, come on. We so how do you how do you actually like remember remember? How do you personally Say no, nope, be I'm be, gonna be authentic today. I'm not just gonna try to please that guy or uh, try to just say the politically correct thing. I'm gonna be authentic. Like, how do you how do you do that? I mean, I mean it's a great question, and sometimes you know everybody can be misperceived, right? Even even myself. So I'm I'm me. I can just be open and honest and, and transparent, and and this is what I have. But 
you know, if you're selling, you got to do your due diligence. You got to know your products. You got to learn your customer, right? How do you help? How do you become a trusted advisor if you don't know how to help them be successful? Otherwise, then it's just all about me, right? But if I take the time to learn about you and what your business is and what you're trying to achieve, and I, and my goal is I'm trying to figure out, me personally, how I can get my product, you using my product to help you be successful. If I can do that, it's a win-win for both of us. So I don't come from it from a from a salesperson perspective just to try to sell you my products, right? Because that's not authentic as, as much. And, and I remember many years ago when I was a rep, um, we do a lot of cost analysis and comparisons. We're doing different fuels. And, and I remember being a rep and talking to a, a, a homeowner um, one one time and about getting natural gas. And I ran a comparison. And at that time, from a dollars and cents, not from an overall, um, overall value um, proposition, but from a just, am I going to save money annually? When I ran it, the answer was no. It actually, at that time, would cost you more money. He was absolutely baffled that I would say that. I said, well, it's true. I said, doesn't mean that natural gas still isn't better for you. I said, but you actually won't save money. And he, he just found that, you know, so odd. He goes, because most salespeople would have tried to just sell me no matter what. I said, well, it, that's not that's not what I do and it's not right. So I'm going to tell you exactly what's right. And your, your shows right now, you're not going to save money annually. So um, I, I got to share that with you. So I, I think that's 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 the nuts and bolts of it, John. But, you know, you mentioned, you know, learn. It takes time for relationships. It absolutely does. Some of the relationships I have now um, and I have a, I have key accounts and, and lots of different folks, um, they take time. You can't build. Our goal and my goal is to have true relationships. So what's a true relationship? Well, I can take someone to lunch, but do I have a relationship with them? Um, that's not not the relationship I'm talking. The relationship I'm talking about that it's like if I a true relationship to me is if I call somebody and then pick up the phone and answer it. If I text them, they respond. Or if I invite them to something, they come. Then you have a rapport and a relationship, right? A true relationship, right? It's just you're just not an acquaintance. Well. The ones that I, that's what I that's what we and that's what I try to do. So I'm trying to build those types of relationships, right? With that person, like I could call a couple right now, and these are you know pretty significant folks. They would respond or pick up the phone. Well, if they didn't really know me and I didn't have a relationship, they, one I wouldn't have their number, and two they they wouldn't pick up the phone, okay, uh, or text. So that's how I gauge that. But um, I think you just got to be open and honest. You got to know your product. Um, and, and really understand your audience, but I I come from it I guess differently. With I want to I want to understand your business and and see what you're trying to achieve and can I help you be successful with my product? If so, then hey, this is what I think I can do, and here's why. If it doesn't work out, great. So I I think and I think I mentioned this when we first talked. You know I'll say you know get comfortable with no. Um, no doesn't bother me. Um, yeah, we all don't like rejection, like you said, but no doesn't bother me from, it just tells me that, hey, you know, I need to do something different. I need to come back at a different time. I need to do different research. I need to, my approach didn't work, okay? And timing is everything. So maybe timing was off. So for me, it'll be okay. It just tells me I'll come back later. I'll figure out something different, okay? Um, 
And I think that's tough for people. Like you said, people don't like no, like rejection. And, um, but that's kind of what it does for me. I'm like, okay, so if, but if you don't prepare, then it's easier to be told no, but we all get told no. Um, but as a salesperson, I think you've got to get comfortable with no, because if everyone sold hundred percent of their time and got yes, every time, then, you know, it wouldn't really be sales, but, um, it, it's just not reality. Okay. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that I see over, over the years, you asked me the first time we talked about this. So, and I think we all have a habit, you know, we, we sometimes we want to get out everything that we want to say and, and everything we're trying to pitch. And, you know, and I've had some folks and sometimes a couple of things, one, you can have your agenda and your, and your sales call and be prepared for that sales call, but you have to go with the flow of that call. If the customer pivots, you have to pivot with them. Don't force your agenda because then it then it comes across and it, it doesn't doesn't work out well. Um, and then so you got to have that flexibility is, is what I'm saying in your sales call. Um, and, and another big one is, you know, we we're so also passionate about our products, right? Um, our companies, our products. And that's, and that's great. But too many times we will think and answer for the customer without letting the customer think or answer for themselves. Sometimes, for instance, I may say, oh, John doesn't want that. He, John won't pay that price. Well, did I ask John? No, I have to let John tell me that's too much money or I don't want that product, okay? Um, and, and I see that a lot, I've seen that over my career and I've probably been guilty once or twice too, like, oh gosh, that's, that's kind of expensive. I, I, <laughs> I don't think they're gonna do that. Well, how do you know um, unless you ask them? Right. So I think you got to you got to put your best foot forward and then present it and let them tell you no or let them tell you it's too much. Um, and I, I think salespeople are guilty of that. You know, that's a really that's interesting because as you're I'm hearing you a lot of times, Carl, say, hey, really put yourself in the in the shoes of the customer. Help the customer win. Don't assume you know what the customer's thinking. And it feels to me like I want to almost sum that up to say uh, that when you help the customer win, you will win. That's correct. And is that, and I know that you, you know, one of the things we kind of circled up on was this concept of like creating a win-win for the customer. And sometimes customers are going to tell you no. So reconcile for me this, you know, how do you get a win-win when the customer's telling you no? So, I think that's timing. Once again, you know, you can do your best and, and that's what, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason. When the timing is right, uh, I, I, I believe that. So um, does everything go my way? No, it doesn't, but I have to, I have to adapt. I have to overcome um, and I have to adjust. So, you know, win-win, the more you understand them and understand what they're trying to achieve, the higher probability of creating that win-win at that time, right? However, timing might be off where, you know, it might be a win for you and at that time might not be a win for them, but that's okay. Um, it might take six months or a year. You just, you persevere, you, you stay the course and I'm a believer that it'll come to fruition, right? Or you may miss this one, but another one may come up because of what you did and how you handled it. So I got an example for that one. So we're working on a bigger deal right now. Um, 
was a very large builder and you know one of their products they don't always use natural gas so we're you know we we had an opportunity and and we're trying to help them and you know well the one we we didn't get it and um okay now fast forward two or three months well all of a sudden now there's two more projects coming to the same product now we're going to get those so i lost one okay love to win them all we all would but you know what we did how we did it it was paid forward that you know they came to us now and say hey i got these two that i think i am going to give you so um i think you got to stay the course john and and you can't get it's easy to get frustrated it's easy to you know gosh i got told no oh but but once again i i think if you get to know people and you try to build those relationships and become that trusted advisor you can kind of you'll get to the point where you'll know you'll know when to ask for that sale and when not to right i think that's part of what salespeople struggle with too in my experience um scared to ask for the sale at the end of the day you gotta ask for the sale it's but it's how you ask for it too um you know how i ask now and i'll weave it in but i'm gonna weave it in in a conversation when i deem it's appropriate i'm not gonna force the the sale okay um, I've also seen people talk themselves out of the sale. So the other one is, you know, when you when it's going and, and you know you've got a sale, we have to know when to stop talking. Um, I've seen people continue to talk. And next thing you know, you had the sale and you lost the sale. So you get so caught up or that you're so passionate and you want to share all this stuff. and But you talked yourself out of the sale. So you you got to know and you got to judge what's going on to know, give as much as you need to, but know when to stop before it can go the other way. And really it's because at that point, maybe you're losing sight of what you were talking about earlier, like really looking at it from the needs of the customer. Like mm -hmm. maybe if you were paying really close attention to what the customer's feeling and what they're thinking and you're trying to put yourself in their shoes, you wouldn't need to show off how much you know, right? You wouldn't need to keep right. talking. Right, and the level of detail, right? So it's all about, I'm, I'm a sales guy, not an engineer. Yeah, I know I'm the, I understand that stuff to a degree, but if you start doing schematics and doing all that, uh, you're gonna lose me quick, right? So um, <laughs> give me the give me the cliff notes, all right? I can comprehend that and do that. So same kind of concept, right? Give the customer what they need and give them you know, enough of what they need, but you gotta know when to, um, cut it off and stop. Oh, that's great. Carl, there's a lot of a lot of stuff here today. So I want to kind of do a recap since we're kind of, yes, kind of wrapping up here. So, you know, some of the takeaways I that I've picked up today are really, first and foremost, whatever industry you're in, know the facts. Go right to the source. Don't just listen to what the talking heads are telling you. Try to know the, know the facts. And then also really be authentic. Be your authentic self, and that's going to enable you to have what you called true relationships. And then if we're really focusing on that, that really if you help the customer win, it's my third major takeaway today. If you help the customer win, you're going to win. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually and for the rest of your life. I got a from Casablanca there. So mm -hmm. this concept of like, if you help the customer win, you're going to win. And mm -hmm. uh, is that, did I capture those? Is that a pretty good summary? You did, John. That was, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs>
Well, Carl, I really appreciate it. I think I really, uh, you know, for all of our listeners out there who are listening, like there's a, just so much here that can be used in whatever sales is going on in your life and also in other relationships in your life. So uh, I encourage you guys to kind of listen to Carl and see what uh, what you can do to apply that in your life. So thank you, Carl. Appreciate that. Yep. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed the time. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So to all of our guests, like if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, share, leave a comment, listen to us while you're on the road in between all your customers. And again, uh, until next time, this is John calling in from the Distribution Download Podcast. Uh, thanks, Carl. Thank you, John. See you. Thank you.